You're listening to the Word of Hope, sermons preached at Hope Lutheran Church in Aurora, Colorado. Today's preacher is Pastor Brian Flammy. In the name of Jesus, amen. When you hear the story about the Good Samaritan, where do you see yourself? I think that we either tend toward seeing ourselves as the beaten up man lying on the side of the road, or we see ourselves as the Samaritan. Now, I think that both identifications are fraught with danger, and as Jesus tells the story, they are both wrong. If you are the half-dead man, what does it gain you but bitterness and resentment, as when in this life, one person after another abandons you, to your pain, to your debt, to your troubles, and to your suffering. Are you waiting for your good Samaritan to come to the rescue? See that in the text, either in the the encounter between Jesus and the lawyer before the story and in the story and after the story, Jesus doesn't promise that your worldly good Samaritan will come to save you. Or perhaps you think that you are, in fact, the Good Samaritan in the story. You are the only person who cares enough, who has enough compassion to do the right thing when it seems like nobody else cares. Nobody else can dare lift their hand, but I I will. But what does it, what good does it do you to warm yourself in the glow of your good works if it only causes you to despise everyone else in return. You should know that that is both vanity and delusional pride. Okay, perhaps you're not exactly the Samaritan, but at least we can say that he is the model after which you strive. And that is closer to the truth. Jesus holds the Samaritan forth as an embodiment of the law's fulfillment as he exercises perfect love for a stranger that's been torn to shreds. The Samaritan is what every Christian should be. He gives us the picture of what our works done in faith really look like. But you know this. That with this picture comes a painful reminder that with every person that you have helped, that you have helped in faith, there have been countless others who have been ignored or forgotten, set to the side. Who are you in the story? You are the Levite. You are the priest. You know the law. You have been careful to keep the law, as no doubt the Levites and the priest were also careful to keep the law, even the ceremonial law to the point of not reaching over to touch a man covered in his own filth and blood. But in trying to scramble after one law, To keep it pure and undefiled, it ends up that you have fallen off on the other side. 
by showing no mercy and no love, in failing to love your neighbor as yourself. And for that, you stand, as the Levite and the priest, shamed, guilty, and condemned. This is the heart of the story. And we finally arrived at the reason, the reason why Jesus had to tell it in the first place. Because a lawyer, an expert in the catechism who knew God's Ten Commandments inside and out, sought to test Jesus. He asked, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? What shall I do? How far can my obedience to the Ten Commandments take me? Now Jesus and the lawyer come to an agreement. Jesus tells the lawyer, you have an orthodox understanding of the law, to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. Jesus says, do this and you will live. Now the lawyer starts to see the difficulty that Jesus has actually given him what he asked for, works. And now the lawyer has second thoughts. (laughs) Do I really want that many works? How many people need my love? It's easy to love some people, but certainly I, I can't love everyone all the time, even people I don't know. And so what does the lawyer do? He does what lawyers always do. He looks for a loophole. And so, desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? This is when Jesus tells the story. This is when Jesus shows the shame and the guilt of trying to avoid feeling compassion and showing love for anyone whatsoever. This is when Jesus condemns the lawyer's failure to love and his lack of works. And this is the lesson this morning. The law will not be limited. It demands more of you than you have, and it extends farther than you could possibly imagine. The law, when it is used as a means to justify, it condemns you. A greater righteousness is needed. And no amount of Jesus commanding, go and do likewise, can provide it. Now, before we come down on the lawyer too hard, it's good for us to think about this. Uh, We should recognize that within the Ten Commandments, there is a kind of order between good works and a priority of love. You see, the lawyer wasn't on the wrong track, nor did he have a bad idea. In fact, he took what the law gave him, and he kind of ran with it to say, well, let me think about this. The fourth commandment tells me what? To honor my mom and my dad, right? That's what it says. So perhaps maybe the love that that Jesus is here talking about really just means my mom and my dad, and that's true. 
there is a love, a priority of love, that God wants you to show to your parents and to other authorities first, right? And then you can see how, starting from the fourth commandment and extending out the sort of sphere of love, the boundaries of love expand, little by little, right? And so in the sixth commandment, you see that it's not just love from parents to children that's required, but there's also a love that is required between husbands and wives. You go a little bit further beyond that, you come to, let's say, the seventh commandment, you see that a kind of love is required between yourself and other people who have private property. And when you engage in business, you're not trying to fleece the other guy, right? Instead, you are to obtain your goods honestly, to pay fair prices, to not steal. And so also, you learn about how all the names of the people that you, you meet and, and you should know, uh, how these names are honorable and good and how you should defend and protect them, as you learn in the Eighth Commandment. Even in the Ninth and the Tenth Commandments, right, it's, it's hard to imagine coveting something from someone unless you know that person and know exactly what they have. They somehow belong to your experience. They belong to your community. And in this way, the love required by the law is anything but abstract, but very concrete, and dealing with the people that you know and are familiar with in your life. But one commandment stands in the way of this abrogated reading of the law, the kind of reading of the law that the lawyer was going after. And you can tell I also avoided it. And this is the one that Jesus uses to catch the lawyer. It's the fifth commandment, that you should not hurt or harm your neighbor in his body, but help and support him in every physical need. The fourth commandment puts your eyes on your parents and those people who are very close to you, but in fact, the fifth commandment jumps as far beyond the horizon as you could possibly imagine, so far that you can't see where it ends. To provide for every single person according to their bodily needs, there is no end to that, no end whatsoever. And that's the point. The law requires your love to be shown to everybody, whether or not you know them, whether they are familiar or a stranger. And so now you feel the loophole being tied shut. When Martin Luther talks about the three estates, which we talk about all the time here at Hope, the estate of the family and the church and the government, uh, he is showing us the place and the setting for our love to take place, right? As we've been taught in the table of duties, as we've been taught in the Ten Commandments. But then again, Luther also talks about a fourth estate of Christian love. And I think he is getting after what Jesus is teaching the lawyer. That you, as a human being, born under the law, even as a Christian, born anew in baptism, you are bound to have a limitless love. That is what you are to have for everybody, the people you know and even for the people you don't know. The law is always demanding this. It's always requiring this. And it is never fulfilled. 
Now, you and I are always going to enter in this kind of legal calculus in trying to determine who gets our love first and who doesn't. And it's right to consider our station in life according to the Ten Commandments so that we have a priority of our love towards our parents and other authorities and then between husbands and wives, and then the love spreads out from there. But at the same time, just because there's a priority of love does not mean that there is a limit to love or that it comes to an end or the list of those who are your neighbors can be cut short. There is always another person who needs their who needs your love, who needs your compassion. And if you miss them or ignore them or slip over them, then you sin. You stand with the lawyer, the Levite, and the priest in guilt. The law says, do this, love, and you will live. And we have not, nor can we. There is too much to do. And we have already condemned ourselves in doing too little. Dear saints, inasmuch as the Samaritan's example should instruct and encourage us in Christian love, we shouldn't lose sight of the law's chief, or what the old Lutherans used to call its theological use. The law convicts you. The law holds all men prisoner under its demands. Even the lawyers, even the experts in the law, even those of you who have memorized your Ten Commandments. Now we know that whatever the law says, it speaks to those who are under the law so that every mouth may be stopped and that the whole world may be held accountable to God. For by works of the law, no human being will be justified in God's sight since through the law comes knowledge of sin. That's what St. Paul writes. The lawyer asks, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? And Jesus answers, what can you do? In fact, I teach you, you do nothing. Here is the law, use it. See how far it gets you in God's sight. It doesn't get you anywhere except to the, the judgment of condemnation. Now, Jesus is not in the business of shaming lawyers and sinners and leaving them in despair with the law. Which is to say that whenever the law accuses, whenever the law is being used in this theological sense, it is always serving the greater word of God that has nothing to do with what you can do, with how you can love, with how many neighbors you can name off the top of your head and what, and what works you can muster in service to them. The law serves this greater word of God that has everything to do with what God has done to save you. The Samaritan, as the embodiment of the law, stands above the sons of Adam as an unachievable ideal, except for one man, born of a woman, yet also the Son of God. The perfection of the law that we see in the Samaritan, Jesus takes that perfection and makes it his own. 
He fulfilled the law to the letter, without loopholes and without exception. And that is your comfort. That where your works, according to the law, fall short and leave you in condemnation, there Jesus has come in the flesh, the Son of God in the flesh, to do the Ten Commandments, to do them perfectly, so that in your baptism, in your baptism, more than just having your sins washed away, this perfection of the law is given to you by promise. And you have it by faith. There is a greater picture than love in the Holy Scriptures. A greater picture than the Samaritan who binds up the wounded man. And it is not a mere picture, but in fact, it is history. It is not merely the embodiment of the law, it is the end of the law and the source and the fountain of all mercy. Jesus, crucified, bears the guilt of every sin you've committed and every good work you have failed to do. God's condemnation through the law may be heard for a time, but only to the end that we see the judgment upon Jesus, the death of Jesus, and the hell that he, that he suffered so that you may have forgiveness and life. Greater love has no one than this, that a man lay down his life for his friends. Through the death of Jesus, God is your friend. He himself has taken up human life in the flesh of the Son of God, and he has laid it down for you for your life. And by taking up his life again, Jesus gives you unimaginable hope beyond the law, outside of the law, given to you freely. It is a gift that you could never hope to achieve with your own hands. And so, when you ask yourself the question along with the lawyer, what can I do to inherit eternal life? Take comfort in the answer that nothing Nothing can be done by you and your hands. Jesus has done it. He gives you your inheritance freely, by grace, and apart from the law. To God alone be the glory. Amen. May the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, keep our hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Amen. Thank you for listening to the Word of Hope. We hope your time with us was one of joy and peace in hearing the Lord's Word and kindness. If you have questions about anything you heard on today's broadcast, please don't hesitate to contact us at office at hope-aurora.org or call the office at 303-364-7416. For more information about our congregation, for locations, service time, and schedule, please visit our website at www.hope-aurora.org. Thank you for listening to The Word of Hope.